0: That's how you build a house, just like that. That's, that's just like it. Got that? All right. There'll be a quiz. Um, uh, if our greeters, we, we'll have a couple of greeters come up with pens. Um, if, if you guys don't have a pen, I want to invite everybody to get out your notes today because I've got, I've got let's see, I've got uh, 14 pages worth of uh, sermon here today. So we got some stuff. We got some material to cover. Um, uh, if you don't have a pen, raise your hand and our greeters will come up. Um, greeters, come on all the way to the front so you can see if anybody has their hand raised. Um, and uh, it, and, t- and you can take notes on this we 're starting a new series called "House in Order," and the premise of the series is we want to spend some time learning what the scripture says about setting our priorities in our time, in our money and in our relationships. Um, how many of you guys could use a little more time? You're like, you know, I just, I don't have enough time to, right? Um, what about money? Could you all use just a little, like, just a little, just a little bit more? Not. Um, how about a little more, you know, opportunity to spend time with those you love? Maybe your family, your spouse, your children, right? We all need this. Um, and so I just want to do, this, this is basically a pastoral uh, series where i 'm going to break down and teach from the scripture about how do we set our priorities in our life so that we can honor God so that we can enjoy him that we can enjoy one another um, so this is just a really good meat and potatoes series about how to set priorities in your life. Um, we have this thing uh, i guess it 's a tradition in our home and it happens uh, you know every every two or three months and what it is is we go through our house, um, and and it's mostly me, let's be honest. I go through our house, and I begin to scan for items that don't need to be there anymore. A few knowing laughs out there. Uh, You know, I look for things that maybe they don't work anymore, or maybe they're duplicates, or maybe um, they just haven't found a place to land in the home. And they're kind of floating around. Or maybe they're in a little pile somewhere. And I go, you know, really, if we don't, do we really need that pile? So I start to, to, to go through the house and try to find things that I can get rid of and declutter the home. Now, what I've learned is that if I want to keep my family, then I have to invite them into that process. Um, now, it's, it's a limited invitation because, you know, really there's some ground rules and, and, and the ground rules are if this place, if this thing doesn't have a place to land uh, or if there's no use for it, um, it's got to go. It'll have a home. It just won't be our home. And then and it goes somewhere else. Um, uh, my wife recently read a book about decluttering. And it's like the joy of decluttering or something like this. The art of tidiness. And, and the premise of the book, in, in the book they say, if you pick up an item in your house and it doesn't bring you joy, then you need to get rid of it. And so now I'm like, oh, this is great. So i was like, honey, do these 17 plastic baby spoons bring us joy? Because they bring me great sorrow, just filling this drawer. So let's, you know, um, and we do it. We go through each room of the house. We go into the playroom, and, you know, broken lightsabers, they have to go. Superheroes with no arms, they have to go. Broken swords, they have to go. Bubble machines have to go. Bubble gum machines have stuff just goes. It just disappears. Uh, then we'll go go upstairs, go to my wife's closet, and um, so um, actually, I was pre-warned that if I get into any of the details related to the closet, it wasn't going to go well for me. So we're going to skip on down to that. We go down to my office. Um, Stephan, could you hand me those two trash cans right there? We go. We go to my uh, to my office downstairs. Thank you. And uh, this week, I went through and I said, "Well, let me just let me just do this. I'll just see if I can find some stuff that I don't need." Um, one thing I found was this is a, a, a tips and tricks for a BlackBerry Curve eight thousand nine hundred. Now, I haven't had a BlackBerry Curve eight thousand nine hundred for about five years, but I still have the pamphlet. Does anyone need this? Does anyone? <laughs> If you have a Blackberry Curve, I want you to know. So um, I found a, uh, this is a, some kind of a, it says Northern Lights, 6-inch light stick, glow for safety. 12-hour glow, blue. Now, I've had this in my office for about nine years. So far, I haven't needed it. I'm projecting that I will not need it. Would anyone like this glow stick? Somebody wants it. I saw a hand over there. That's Aiden. That's mine. All right. Um, this is a handset to a phone that I had in college. You want that? There you go. That's all yours. Good luck with that. Um, this is the last one. This is a bottle of Germex, and for some reason, this stuff just freaks me out. I just I'm not into Germex. Would anybody like some Germex? There you go. Okay. Okay. Good. Oh. Oh. Sorry. Oh my gosh. Let's get a lawyer in here. Okay. Um, all right. So I thought that we would start off with an exercise for this series. I'm going to give you an opportunity to begin to declutter and to get your house in order. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Open up your purse or your wallet or dig into your pockets and find three items that you do not need. And what we're going to do, Joe can I get a hand over here? And Stefan, can I get a hand over here? We got two guys with trash cans. We're going to help you declutter. Just walk slowly down the aisle and let people throw their stuff in the trash can. And if anybody wants that Blackberry Curve instructions, it's in this trash can and you can grab it. So this is a decluttering exercise. You got anything? Nothing? You're totally decluttered. Wow. Isn't this Nice do you got? You don't have no, You have nothing, Mark. You got? Some of you are like rummaging through your wife's purse and like, no, seriously, you, you know. My wife, you could just turn your purse upside down, babe, and just no, that's not right. All right. <laughs> How's it going? You guys feel better already? You feel a little cleaner, a little lighter, a little more orderly? I would keep preaching, but man, it's just too, it's just too much going on out there. I know, I started it. I'll do a little song. All right, so, so as you guys are continuing to do that, here's what I want to tell you. You know, we all have we all have different degrees of um, tolerance for stuff in our life, for clutter, for objects in our office, for objects in the playroom, for objects in the bedroom, for uh, you know, objects in the basement and in the garage, right? We have different levels, and that's okay. Some people are a little more messy, and some people are a little more tidy, and, you know, that just, just sort of depends on your personality. God makes us all different ways. You know, I tend to judge the, you know, the clutterers, and the clutterers judge the tidy folks, and, you know, we judge one another. It's okay if there's a little bit of disorder and chaos, and you guys can literally take those to the dumpster after church. We really don't. We really don't need it. Um, uh, you know, and so that's okay, right? Because we all have different levels of disorder and chaos, you know, in the stuff of our life. But it's not okay when our life is in disorder. It's, not, it's okay if there's a little bit of extra junk in the, the closet or in the basement or whatever. But it's not okay if your schedule is so cluttered with stuff that you can't do the things that are important and you can't focus on those things that are meaningful and important in your life. And it's not okay if your finances are in such disarray that you are you're barely have your head above water, you're barely making it week to week, you don't have anything to set aside. Uh, or to give or to invest, and you're just barely keeping it flow. That's not the way to live. You cannot, you cannot live a fruitful and productive, and joyful and abundant life like that. And it's not okay if your relationships are so cluttered and chaotic, and you're expending all of your relational energy on people that are not, you know, maybe not that close to you, and you're you're doing that at the sake of. Losing out on a relationship with the people that you really love, your spouse or your children or your, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend or or your mom or your kids or whoever's really important. So it's okay for us to have a little bit of disorder in certain areas of our life. But when it comes to the big, the big, you know, parts of our life, our time, our money, our relationship, it's not okay for us to have our house in disorder. We need to put our house in order. And there's a story from the Bible, a very interesting kind of strange little story about a king who was really sick. He had um, sort of a, an infection, and we don't know exactly what it was. Um, and he was the king of Judah. He was uh, about he was several hundred years before Christ. Um, and his name was Hezekiah. And uh this is just a, a picture of Hezekiah, and I, I, it's the only ones I could find. I'm pretty sure they didn't actually have gold plates behind their head, but, but you get the picture. So Hezekiah, and then a prophet came to Hezekiah, and his name was Isaiah. And it's really interesting what Isaiah said to Hezekiah, because Isaiah said this. He said, Hezekiah, thus says the Lord. This is what the Lord is saying. He said, Set your house in order. And then he said something that nobody wants to hear. He said, for you shall die, you shall not recover. And what struck me, two things struck me about this. One is this phrase, get your house in order. And clearly he wasn't telling King Hezekiah, I want you to declutter your office. Right? He's not saying that. What he's saying is, Hezekiah, I want you to get your relationships in order. I want you to make amends with people that you need to make amends with. I want you to get your your family affairs and your finances in order. Make sure that everything is structured in the way that it needs to be. And with the last bit of time that you have, make sure that you're being you know doing things that are meaningful and important and relevant to your life. You know, and and get your conscience in order. If there's anything that you need to open up before God and and ask for forgiveness or ask for uh, for help. It's time to do that. So one, that's one thing that struck me, just the phrase itself, like house in order. And now we use that phrase all, all the time to mean what we're talking about today. But the other thing that struck me is this. He comes to him and says this to him right as Hezekiah is about to die, like right at the end. And as I'm reading this, as I was planning for this series, I thought, what if we do that now? Like, what if we do that instead of right at the end? What if we do that right now? What if we live with our house in order? What if we put our house in order now and we just live out our life with our house in order? You know, a lot of people, right before they sell their house, they will fix everything up. They'll get the garage fixed. They'll get the driveway fixed. They'll get that dishwasher in there. They'll get all the oven and everything together, right? Right before they sell it. And you kind of go, oh, man, wouldn't it have been nice for you to be able to use those things when you live there? So I, w- I want to say to us as a congregation, what if we start to put our house in order right here and right now and we live out this way here at the beginning of the year? It's still the, the, the beginning of the year. It's the last day of January. You know, I know that you've all kept your, all of your New Year's resolutions to this point. So, so we know that we're still good there. But what if we start to put our house in order now and we don't wait? So this series is going to be, how do we do that? So I'm going to give you a sort of overview of what that looks like. Um, And the very first principle that everybody needs to know when it comes to your time, your money, your relationships, the very first principle that we need to get a hold of is this. Know your numbers. Know your numbers. Now, I'm not a numbers guy, um, and I don't particularly enjoy numbers. Uh, In fact, when I was younger, I... um, I, I, my, my philosophy to life when it came to money was if the ATM spits it out, then I'm going to keep going. And if the ATM stops on me, then we're going to have to figure something else out. But all the overdraft fees, all the debt, all the craziness that I was, that was happening in my life when I was a young single guy who wasn't looking at the numbers, it didn't, it wasn't good. It took a while to dig out from that because I didn't know the numbers. In fact, two years in a row now this is an admission that I'm gonna that I'm gonna make but I, I've already disclosed this somewhere else two years in a row I was so petrified about the numbers in my life I was so afraid that I would at the end of the year I would get such a huge tax bill that I would not be able to afford it that for two years in my 20s I didn't do my taxes didn't do them just didn't do them didn't this didn't go to the tax place didn't do it and finally one year I'm like I've got to go and do my taxes because eventually, don't you get arrested or something? Like <laughs> something happens, and uh, this is before I was a lawyer. And um, so, so I got my paperwork together, and I go down to the H Block. It was about a block from my house. I just walk down there, and I'm and I'm almost shivering with like fear, and I can't breathe. And I'm like, uh, what's going to happen? Like they're going to, the feds are going to come and arrest me and cart me off today. So I. I Give the, the tax, the accountant, the paperwork. She looks through it. She's doing all this stuff with a calculator on the computer. Da, da, da. And she says, at the end, she says, congratulations, Mr. Rome. Um, You're getting uh, about an $8,000 refund for the two years that you didn't do your taxes. And I was like, 8000 Like, let's have a party. I'll buy a house. You know? Um, I, I mean, I didn't know the numbers. You know, that's the reason they don't arrest you. It's, it's because they owe you money sometimes. So, um... Uh, but I didn't know the numbers. And so when we're, when we're going to approach our life, when it comes to our time, when it comes to our money and our relationships, we need to know the numbers. We need to know how much time we have. Let's just start with the full amount, right? The good thing is that's the easiest one. We all have exactly the same, 24 hours in a day. We all have the same amount. Then we get to divide that up in our, with our finances, knowing what your finances look like, what's coming in the door knowing what that number is. In your relationships, how many relationships are really important? Which ones are really important that you need to focus on that really matter to you? Which ones are they? And here's, here's how Jesus talked about knowing the numbers. He said this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Wouldn't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? And then he goes on to say, because if you like, get it halfway up, and you don't have enough money to finish it, then everybody's going to kind of laugh at you, right? And, and and that's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you in any area of your life, any area that's important, stop and figure out what's, what. know the numbers. What's happening? How much do you have? And how much is it going to cost, right? In all of these different areas of our life. So that's principle number one. The second principle is also very simple. And I'm going to, we're going to drill through the next four weeks. We're going to drill down on some of these ideas. The second one is this examine your expenditures how much are you where is it going where is your time going Do ever you ever like have the end of the day you you just look back and you go what happened today like what did I accomplish today did anything important happen today right or with your money you look at the bank account and you go where did it go you never you almost never look at your bank account and go holy smokes how did all this money get in here you know (laughs) You're almost always, at least our hour, we're like, oh, wait, uh, okay, there was more before. Where'd it go? So, and, and, and with your relational energy, right, like the amount of energy that you're putting into the different relationships in your life, where is that going? Um, I got some good stats for you. So this may encourage you. It may deplete you and depress you, but here they are. Um, with time, the average American will spend six minutes per day looking for their keys. I feel like that's underest- an underestimate, but... <laughs> Um, the average American will spend 751 minutes a year in traffic, uh, 727 minutes per year waiting for people to show up for stuff that you're waiting for, uh, 724 minutes standing in lines, um, 723 minutes on hold. I spent, I spent about 600 of those this week with a couple of different places. Uh, so we just, a lot of times we just, we have to figure out like where's the time going, right? Where did it go? Finances. of Americans pay their bills late, and then they get the fees, you know, they incur the fees because they can't find the bill. It's like somewhere in their paperwork, and they can't find it. 50% of Americans do not have enough money in their savings to cover three months of expenses. So if, you know, an emergency comes along, you know, you're wiped out. Um, uh, 27% have no savings at all. The average credit card debt is $15,000 per household. And Americans who regularly buy coffee, I thought about leaving this out, but um, throughout the week spend an average of 1,092, which isn't, I mean, it's not that much. So so then, okay, with relationships, uh, children ages 2 to 17 will spend 10 times more in the company of television, you know, phone, uh, media than they do with their parents. Families spend, on average, about 36 minutes together per weekday. Um, and then they actually broke that out. Like, a lot of that is, like, TV and stuff like that. Um, on average, couples, couples spend about two hours a day together, including uh, watching TV, eating, and doing housework. So, so it's not that glamorous of time together. So. We, we have to get a sense of where the money is going, where the time is going, where the relationship energy is going if we really, really want to get our house in order. There's a passage from uh, one of the prophets, and he says this, and, and I, I just see if you recognize yourself in this scripture. He says, give careful thought to your ways. He said, you've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on your clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. He said, give careful thought to your ways. You know what he's saying, right? He's saying, know your expenditures. Know where stuff is going. Because otherwise, you just keep trying to fill the holes, and they just keep spilling out in your time, in your money, in your relationships. This is not in your notes, but I wanted to give you this statement, and you can write it down. It says this. Your calendar and your bank account are moral documents. They reveal your beliefs and your commitments. They reveal your beliefs and your commitments. You can say whatever you want, but whatever you're doing, that reveals what you believe, what you're committed to, who you are. Um, And so those are moral documents. Um, So know where the stuff is going. The third one is this, establish your priorities. And what I want to say on this one is you either take charge of your circumstances or your circumstances will take charge of you. Uh, It's one or the other. You have to set firmly, unequivocally what your priorities are and then direct your life in accordance with those priorities. Otherwise, your life will just sort of take its own course and it will dictate to you what your priorities are. Jesus said this. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. And before that, he's saying, you know, food and clothes and all this kind of stuff. Put God first in everything you do. Put God first in every aspect of your life. The rest will work itself out. Um, and I want to put this sort of statement to you as well. If you don't firmly establish your priorities, your, your circumstances will dictate them for you. That's not in your notes, but you can write that down. If you don't firmly establish your priorities, your circumstances will dictate them for you. Now, I'll give you some, you know, some self-disclosure time. When my wife and I first got married, a few months after we got married, you know, we had come from different back, not, we had come from different backgrounds with different priorities and different ideas about how to spend our time, money, relationship stuff, and so what we did was we literally sat down at the kitchen table, with a piece of paper and a pencil, and we started saying we need to establish what are the priorities for our family, what are going to be the priorities with our time and with our money and with our relationship. Because if we don't do this, there's enough stuff that will gobble all that up for us and take us where it wants us to go. So we have to establish it and agree upon it and and land on it for ourselves. And so for time, when it came to time, one of the things that we established early on was that we're always going to take a Sabbath. We're always going to take a day where all we do is spend time enjoying God and enjoying one another and enjoying friends and enjoying family and resting. We're going to take one day no matter what. And that was not easy for us to do. At that time, it was my first year working at a law firm and there were a lot of demands and it was very challenging. But we said for the long haul, We need to establish a priority, and we're going to stick to that. And that's a biblical principle. It's not a a law or a commandment for us, but it is a biblical principle uh, that we do. We take a day, and we rest. And we enjoy God. We go to church. We have fun. We eat. We relax. You know, whatever it is, we take a day of rest. And that has proven to be, you know, through the crazy times and the easy times, that has proven to be an anchor in our family that has helped us to not get fried and burnt out and go crazy. We've taken that Sabbath and we've established that priority and we conformed our circumstances to the principle, not the other way around. With our money, we said, all right, you know, what, how are we going to do this? Um, we had a significant amount of debt. We had, I, I had a, I had purchased, before we got married, I had purchased a house in Arizona that was, this was during the mortgage crisis, and it went completely upside down. It was worth about or less of what I purchased it for. So we were way upside down there. We had some student loans. We had some credit card debt. We had some junk. We just had some stuff, right? Uh, And we said, all right, how are we going to do money? Because, you know, two different people have two different ideas. We started with the principle of tithing. We said, what we're going to do for our family is we're going to tithe 10% of everything that comes in. We were members of a, a little church here in St. Louis, and we just established that. And we said, this is going to be part of our life going forward for the rest of our life. We're going to give. Uh, we're going to start with giving. We're going to put God first, and we're going to give, and then we're going to save 10%. We're going to give 10%, and then we're going to save 10%, and we're going to live on 80% of what's left over. Um, and we established that priority very early on. Again, it wasn't easy, but it was, it was right for us. And it's, it, and it's, again, a biblical principle. If you can give first and then save and then spend the rest, use the rest for whatever you need. Even that really should be to leverage it for the glory of God in some way. But, but if you can establish those priorities, they will guide you for the rest of your life. They will free you financially. You will not be bound by your finances, but you'll be in charge of your finances. Um, and so we set that in order. We, we opened up. We have, a, we have a bill pay, you know, electronic bill pay. I just set it so that every week or every month, it went out. With the mortgage, it went out. With the electric bill, it went out. We gave, we saved, and then we lived on the rest. So I want to challenge all of you in this area because this is, a, this is a tough one and this is a sensitive one for people. But if you'll, if you'll allow the priority to dictate the behavior, then the behavior will not dictate the priority. Okay? So, so I want to challenge you. If you're a member of, of U City Family Church, make it a priority to, to set aside a percentage. And you have to figure that out for yourself you know, don't be, you know, that's got to be in your heart what to do. The biblical principle is 10%. If you can't do 10, start with five. And if 10 is a drop in the bucket, do more. Um, but give 10% to the work of God. If you're visiting here and you're a member of another church, I want to challenge you. Do the same thing there. Give to that church 10%. And then the, the those of you that are here and like, well, wait a minute. I'm not, a, I'm not a church person. I'm just checking it out. Um, I'm just, so I get to slip past this one. I want to challenge you. If you're not a believer and you don't, maybe you don't believe in church or you don't believe in Jesus or you don't believe in God or the Bible or whatever and you're just kind of checking it all out and you're not quite sure you want to make that commitment, let me challenge you. Give 10% of your money to something that brings, that helps somebody that can't help you back. Uh, s- establish the principle of generosity in your life. Uh, Give it to the United Way or the Red Cross or the Salvation Army. But establish a principle in your life that says, here's how we're going to live. We're going to put God first. We're going to make sure that we have enough stored up so that if there's an event, we can cover it. And then the rest we're going to live on. So that's what we did personally with our our time and with our money. And then in our relationship, we said, what are we going to do that makes sure that we maintain a proximity and a closeness um, for our kids and for you know the long haul because we're we're in this for real and forever, uh, and so what we did was one thing we did was we established a date night. We said every Friday night, no matter what, we're going out. We're going on a date. We're hanging out. Kids, we'll give them to the neighbors. Somebody take the kids because we're going out and they ain't coming with us. Um, and and we made a few different. We set some priorities like that in our life that we have established as a couple that have made. Our relationship work through the hard times, through the easy times, uh, because we've established the priorities. They've dictated the circumstances, and the circumstances are not dictating the priorities. Are you with me, everybody? You feeling it? All right. One clap. We got one person clapping. Thank you, brother. Thank you. (laughs) Praise God. All right. Um, So establishing those priorities, and that's huge. Now, I want to talk to you just for a few minutes, and we're not going to hang out long on this because we're going to work on this for four weeks. But one of the first priorities you want to think about is this purpose versus possessions, purpose versus possessions. I used to work with a a young woman at uh, the firm where I worked. Her name was Chris Shelton. And uh, Chris like hat was making it. You know, she was making a boatload of money working at the law firm and just doing great. And everybody loved her. And she said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm making, I've got plenty of possessions, I got plenty of provisions, but I'm not fulfilling my purpose, and she struggled with this, and she really, what she really wanted to do was teach. She felt like God had put it in her heart to teach, and that was her purpose, Um, but, you know, when she kind of brought that up, people were like, "Mm, that seems crazy, because, you know, um, have you looked at a teacher's salary lately? Like, you know, so... Uh, But she ultimately said, this is what I'm going to do. And she ended up resigning from her job and took a job with the Riverview School District. Um, And within two years, she was named the district's teacher of the year. uh, And then she was interviewed about that, right about that time. And I want to read you a quote about what she said in that interview. She said, my true passion in life is helping children. Seeing the smiling faces of my students is what motivates me to push harder and work to be better each and every day. She said, God has blessed me to allow me to do what I love for a living. She said, look, I've got the possessions, and that's good, but what I want to do is pursue God's purpose for my life. As you're establishing the priorities in your life, put the purpose over the possessions every time. Every se- now, if the possessions can be part of the purpose... Fantastic. But if you have to make that choice, make your purpose, put your purpose over your possessions. And this is the quietest church service we've had in a long time. I'm going to preach something really upbeat next Sunday, and you guys are going to be amen. Um, Jesus said it like this What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Put Put your purpose, God's purpose for your life, in front of everything else. Let that be a principle that guides you in everything you do. Uh, The next one is this, contentment versus consumption. Contentment versus consumption. I read an article recently by the chief sustainability officer from Ikea. Okay, you guys know Ikea? Anybody familiar with Ikea? And he said this. He said the Western world has reached what he called peak stuff. Now, what he meant by that is in in the West, we've got enough stuff. We've reached the peak of the amount of stuff that we need. Now, this is particularly interesting coming from a guy whose job it is to sell us stuff, right? So they're like, so are you guys going to start shutting down stores? He's like, well, no, but, you know, I mean, um, because people will keep buying. But he said, we've reached this point of peak stuff. We've reached a point where another thing is not going to bring us another incremental unit of happiness. It's not going to bring us another incremental unit of purpose and passion and joy. We've gotten to this point where we've got enough stuff and we've consumed. We've got all of this consumerism going on, but what about contentment? What about slowing down and saying, hey, you know what? We're good. We're good where we're at. The Apostle Paul, he was, you know, preaching all over the world, doing what he loved to do, got jailed, got imprisoned, tied, you know, and chained, and this is what he wrote to the little church that he started in Philippi. He said, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I've had times where I was, where I didn't have enough, and I was still content, and I know what it is to have plenty. There's been times where I'm flush." When I look at the bank account, and it's golden, and I'm good, and everything is great, and I still am content. He said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. And then he tells us the secret. He says, the secret is this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He said, I've got God. End of story. I've got God. I don't need anything else. When, when I was a kid, we used to have this song, uh, Long As I Got King Jesus, I Don't Need Nobody Else. You ever hear that song? Long as I got King Jesus, long as I... Okay. Um, <laughs> raise the key. Let's take that one. up. Yeah, that was the one where they kept going up every time. You know, like, by the time it was over, you're like, wow, you know. Um, if we have God in our lives, this was a this this blew my mind when I first became a Christian because this was the, the, the reality of this became, you know, focused and 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 clear for me, is that I realized something just happened to me that can't be taken away, something just happened to me that if I lose my job, if I lose my home, if I lose uh, somebody I love, if I lose, I've got God. And so this is going to sustain me. My relationship with him is going to sustain me through everything, through times of of hunger, through times of full, through times of need, through times of plenty. I've got God in my life. I want to invite you, if you don't have God in your life, open up your heart to him and say, God, come in, because you can experience a contentment in Christ, a contentment in your relationship with God that will trump everything else to the point where you really, you know, circumstances in life, the, the, the things of this world grow strangely dim. You know, things just kind of don't mean as much. Things are not as important because you've got God in your life. That anxiety it level goes down. Worry goes down because you've got God in your life, and you reach this level of contentment. Um, so the way to think of it is this. Contentment means God is enough. You've got God, and, and that's enough. My, the greatest illustration that I ever saw of this was my grandfather he was a, an old preacher out, and he lived in this little dusty, he lived in a trailer home in Caldwell, Idaho. Um, that's not glamorous, man. His parents, you know, his mother's family came across the country on the Trail of Tears, driven across the country. You know, they were Cherokee, and, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a bitter, bitter beginning to, you know, his life and his, his, his parents' lives. It was not a good situation. And even at the end of his life, you know, 90 years old, living in a little trailer home, didn't really have any money, didn't really have much. But, you know, the guy would be, he would, he would wake you up in the morning. He would, he was one of the old school guys. He'd be like, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And that's the way he would start it, you know. And that's the way he would start his day. And that's how he would work through it. He'd be at the DMV. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I'm like, no. Um. I'm not thanking the Lord for this one. Um, But he had contentment because he had God. So where's that principle for you? Uh, You know, uh, consumerism, consumption, or contentment. The next one is this, stewardship versus ownership. Stewardship versus ownership. I'm going to get into this later, so I won't spend a lot of time on this. But the basic point in this one is everything you have and everything you are Belongs to God. The breath in your lungs is his. It's not yours. The the family, the friends, the house, the bank account, the uh, the health, everything that you think is yours is really yours to manage. But it belongs to him. And when you get that, you guys, I'm serious. That is transformative in your life. That switches things around for you. You suddenly become a person who says, "I am managing. I'm, wow. God has put me in charge of this, and so I'm going to do what what I can do to bring, uh, you know, glory to Him in what I've got and what I am and what I do." Um, and Jesus told a great parable about this. He said. One, you know, a, a guy was leaving far away, and he gave one guy a bag of fi- uh, five bags of gold, one guy two bags of gold, and one guy one bag of gold. And he went away on a long trip, and he came back, and he said, what would you guys do with the gold? And the guy with five bags said, I made five more. Here's your, five, here's your ten bags. The guy with two bags said, you know, I got two more. Here's your four bags. The guy with one bag said, well, I was, like, a little nervous, and so I took it, and I dug a hole, and I buried it. And so here it is. Let me wipe some of the dirt off here. Let me And the 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 in the parable, the the rich man, the the master of the parable said, take the bag from this guy and give it to the guy who got 10. Right? Because what he's saying is I'm everything that I'm giving to you, all that you have in your life, that belongs to God and he's giving it to you to manage to return to him when he comes in the end. Amen. All right. We're burning through it. I told you, I really do have 14 pages of notes here. Um, The last one is this. Principle, open-handed versus tight-fisted. And this is in every area of your life. You know, time, money, relationships. Uh, In your relationship, are you open-handed? Are you giving? Or are you sort of negotiating? Are you saying, hey, you know what, I, look, I, you know, I did the dishes so Uh, technically, you know, that wasn't, you know, right? Or are you just giving? Are you just, are you pouring out of yourself to the people that you love and the people that you want to build a relationship with? Are you opening your life and spilling it out for them? Um, Same with your money and with your time. Are you spending? And I got to tell you guys, this is the most generous church. This is the most generous community of people. I'm talking with time, money, relationships, the whole gamut. Than any church that I have ever been around, been a part of, seen, heard about. I mean, you guys get this. You guys get this. Our church gets this. I called this week. I sent an email to Principal Macklin, who's the principal over at U City High School, because we want to launch a program there for students with Young Life. Um, and you know, uh, in a, in about an hour. I got an email back from them saying, hey, man, let's get together. Let's talk it out. This is exciting. I want to be a part of it. And the reason that we get this response from from the people in our community, from the different nonprofits and the schools and the different agencies in our community, is because they know what kind of people you are. They know that you are the kind of people that are not here to gain, but you're here to give. You're not here to be served, but you're here to serve. And they know the reputation of our church is a church that literally pours out of ourself and gives to the community and makes things happen and tries to build our community, whether it's uh, homeless folks on the street, kids in the local school district, uh, people struggling with mental health issues, whatever it is, we are here to serve. We're here to give. We're an open-handed place, and people respond to that. People, even if they don't believe what we believe... They're going to say, man, those guys are doing something unique and something powerful and something special, and I want to be associated with them. So that open-handed versus closed-fisted, this is what this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to close with this, is what the Apostle Paul told pastors. So what I'm preaching to you right now, I am commanded to preach to you, all right? The Apostle Paul wrote Timothy, and it's a, it's a pastoral epistle. It's, what that means is it's a letter from the Apostle Paul to pastors. And this is what he tells pastors to tell people. He said, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Why? So that the world will be a better place? Yeah, sure. But so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. In other words, he says, what... What I want you to convey to the people that God has brought for you to preach to is I want you to convey this, these principles to them so that they may experience what is really life, that they may experience true life, not to be chained by circumstances, but to have command over the circumstances of their life, because it's it's when we put our house in order that we actually take charge of the circumstances in our life that 's when we can be free that 's when we can live a life of enjoyment and 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 meaning and purpose and power when we take charge and we put our house in order i'm going i 'm going to give you three applications you guys three applications <laughs> and, and then I promise I am going to close um, three applications and you can write these down now you guys keep this this is for you in the back of your bulletin in the, in the very last part of your bulletin. I want you to think about where your commitments are going to be. And this is for you. You keep this, and you think about this, and you pray about this. But in your, in your time, in your time, what are three things that you seriously know in your heart you need to accomplish, you need to do, you need to pull off? And maybe it's even something this week, and you've let the, you've let the urgent stuff get in, in, in front of the, the important stuff you ever done that it's just like man there's just there's always urgency around all this stuff and there's this massively important thing out here that i'm not doing right i want you to take some time write down for yourself what are three things and maybe it's take my wife out on a date or maybe it's you know take my clothes to the dry cleaner i don't know what it is whatever it is what are three things that you want to accomplish this week that you need to just carve out some time for and establish this is what i'm going to do all right you can write those down in your finances, make a decision in, a, in, in your family or in your personal life. What percentage of my income will I give to the work of God? And again, if, if, you're, not, if you're not a, a believer, I want, I want you to stay on the hook here because I want to charge you to give to those things that, that, that serve the community around you and that don't directly benefit you. But what percentage are you willing to give to the work of God and to the things of God? Now, if it's a husband and wife, and one person writes down a lower number, and the other person writes down a higher number, go with the higher number. Because, no, um, that was a joke, but man, I was was like, God, no. Um, But determine for yourself what that is. Determine what that is for your life. And then what are you going to save? And then what are you going to live on? But if you don't establish these priorities for yourself, It'll all get consumed up, and you'll be like the guy in Haggai who reaches into his pocket or reaches into the purse and finds out that there were holes in it, and it just went. And then in your relationships, take a moment and write down the names of three people in your life, three people in your life that you need to spend some time with. Maybe you need to make a phone call this week. Maybe you need to, you know, send somebody a letter. Maybe you need to issue an apology. Maybe you need to reach out and make amends with somebody. Write down three names of people that you need to invest some relational energy in because, you know, you got to get your house in order. I, I, uh, I pray that each and every one of us would take these next few weeks to just dive into this, just dive right into the midst of this, even though it may be awkward and uncomfortable and clunky dive right into the midst of it because it's what God wants for you, not from you. It's what God wants for you. This week, my wife and I went and, you know, we've got a baby on the way. I, you probably didn't notice, but um, uh, but we've got a baby coming and they did this 4D image where you can actually see the, the baby. Um, and she's really gorgeous, by the way. Um, and w- the only thing I can think about when I see this picture is I want what's best for this baby. I want what's best for her. I'm her dad. I desire nothing but her good. That's God's relationship with you. God is saying, these principles in my word, these are for you. These bring you hope. These bring you strength. These pull you out of the bondage and the chains and the chaos and the disorder and the clutter and the craziness of your life because if you'll follow God's word, He will help you get your house in order. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today with gratitude in our hearts for your word, your word that is strong, your word that is challenging, your word that brings joy, your word that brings hope, your word that brings peace. And I pray that every single person here today would make the decisions, Lord, to, to first of all, to follow you. Uh, and and after we've chosen to follow you, then we choose to really follow you, to follow you with our life, to follow you with everything that is yours. And God, lead us in this, teach us in this, guide us in this. We ask God that each and every person, as they leave here today, maybe they need to sit at home silently and and pray and, and, and seek your face and look in your word and try to understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish and achieve in their life. Because God, I just pray that all of us, all of us would be given the strength this week to begin this somewhat challenging and difficult process of putting our house in order and our time and our money and our relationships and everything that we have that belongs to you. Help us to put our house in order that we might live that which is truly life. Father, we praise you for this. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.